Here we are back for another episode of Spainer and Riggs, our second official episode. We're excited to get it going. We got an action-packed podcast. We're going to touch on a little bit of the NFL roundup, talk about some Super Bowl and everything going on in the NFL. We got a great talk for ND College Sports, excellent interview with head coach Matt Merkin of MSU. And we're going to talk a little local high school sports. Great interview with Kindred Girls head coach Sam Brandt. We're excited to do that. So are you ready for episode number two? I'm ready. Let's, Let's go. go. So uh, Super Bowl this past Sunday. Did you enjoy the game? I did enjoy the game. Actually, it was a really good game. You know what? At the end of the day, I was really excited for a great game. It was kind of back and forth. It had it all. Um, the excitement that went on went down back and forth, of course, coming down to the wire. And then one of those, what was going to happen at the end, you know, Matthew Stafford drives down the field and, of course, Aaron Donald with a big play. So I was very excited for the game. I mean, there were certainly so many little adjustments I was hoping for the Bengals to find a way. I was optimistic that Joey Burrow was going to get it done, but unfortunately... I thought that so. was interesting uh, you know, and he's young quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in the Super Bowl in his second year, so obviously props to Joe Burrow. Fourth and one. Mm-hmm. Last play for the Bengals. They need a first down. They call perfect play. They tie the right side of the Rams secondary up. The slot receiver gets free at the sideline, and Joe Burrow kind of has tunnel vision on Chase, and, and it oh. allows Donald to get in there and uh, and make a play. And... Um, my brothers and my all my nephews—they're all Rams fans, uh, and I, you know, oh, and just a diehard St. Louis group or what? Uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, well, my they, brothers are Ram, LA, in, uh, LA okay, Rams. Right. You know, he's he's yeah. fifty. He turns. I uh, just turned fifty-four. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, January fourteenth. Yeah, yeah. So um, when the game was over, I texted them right away. Cup slash Donald. MVP. So, uh, and I, it's interesting because the next day on first take, they were arguing Stafford, Cup, or Donald, and then everyone either Donald or Cup. And I thought it should have been a co-MVP situation, and they gave it just a Cup. And uh, when the Rams couldn't move the ball, I mean, Donald put the team on his shoulders mm-hmm. in that second half. And that, that sack that forced the field goal... That where the Bengals had a chance to walk in and just end the game, uh, I thought was that, that set the tone for the whole second half Rams defense. Um, I thought Ramsey, I know he got reamed on the one, mm-hmm. but he was not the best corner in the NFL, Ramsey, in that game. No, like, he was. Donald was that second maybe half, best player of all time second in that half game. first play, you know, over the yeah, top there. Yeah. And, uh, and I, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. I, I thought some, some play calls were probably should have been better for the Bengals. I mean, they were running the ball there with a minute left and trying to get that extra yard. And, you know, the, the biggest thing, and you talk about everything that the Bengals are doing, their whole scheme was trying to shut down Aaron Donald to be able to give him uh, some opportunities to throw the ball. And all the first half, they had some success with some quick throws. But, man, that defensive line, I mean, seven sacks. It's just, it was insurmountable. I mean, if you Bengals were to win, I mean, they would have the second most, are tied for most sacks in an NFL game. If they would have won, that would have been unbelievable. But, um, but geez, <laughs> but it was a great game. Like I said, it's, it's something we can all look forward to. I mean, Rams, I'm, I'm excited for Stafford. I mean, he lives in plays. How, how big was that stuff. for him to have yeah. that drive? For sure. You know, and the Bengals. Score two touchdown passes, you know, <laughs> technically, you know. 
The Bengals have to be uh, smarting, hurting oh. after uh, Montana to Taylor on that final mm-hmm. drive uh, in the 80s. There was that 1988, right? For uh, sure. Um, 89 February, but 88 season. Um, that's it's nice for Stafford for sure. And you know what? Hey, you know what? Great game all around. I mean, both positives. I'm of course you're excited for the Rams, the Bengals. They didn't have any business being there. They were excited to be there. I mean, they've far exceeded their expectations way ahead of schedule on their rebuild, and man, that AFC is going to be tough. I mean, we're, we can, we're going to have other podcasts. We're going to talk about other quarterbacks, carousels, but man, that AFC here in the next, whatever, five to ten years, good luck. They've got to get it done quick, though, because once you pay that quarterback, mm-hmm. it gets a lot more difficult uh, to make it happen, and they're going to have him and uh, Chase coming at the same time. For sure. They need a left tackle, though, don't they? Oh, big time. <laughs> they do oh, have cap cow. money. They, they do. do have cap money. They do have money. like a third highest of what a cap yeah, money. Yeah, and they, uh, so that, I think they'll be able to finish that, fix that offensive line fairly easy. But uh, I, I disagree a little bit with the third and one call on the run. Yeah. Because I thought that was a slam dunk for a first down, and they got Donald with oh, one arm. Unbelievable. One he's arm. got one arm on yeah. the on the center of the guard, and then he's got one arm, and he just doesn't oh, let him cross the line. Um, and that leads me. And, and, and you guys know we have the GOAT segment where we're going we're gonna to try to hash it out Every from episode. sport to sport until we get to the greatest athlete of all time. And uh, we decided, and you guys decided with comments, that we would split the offense and defense of greatest of all time mm-hmm. players. And I'll just rattle off some. For you sure. tell me if someone's missing. You guys can tell if someone's missing. Uh, the obvious Lawrence Taylor. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if we go to the 70s, maybe Jack Lambert, right? Mm-hmm. We have Dion. Yep. I'm going to shut down half the field, Dion Sanders. And the special team stuff, but yeah, we're defense, but you got it. Yep. We have Aaron Donald. Yep. Right? We have uh, Mike Singletary, probably, mm-hmm. maybe in there. It's kind of tough to put him in there when he was, you know, overshadowed by, yep. Le- by LT the whole time. Uh, who do you got? The best defensive player of all time. It's tough. You know, I'm certainly much much younger than you so I certainly don't have the uh, the history uh, as, as as you go back but you know you watch a lot of video you, you hear about you know what Bill Belichick talks about uh, you know Lawrence Taylor and what his how his he changed the game and how you could you know as an offense you really had to account for what he did his stats were impeccable um, you know got a Super Bowl at the right time when he needed it for me now in this day and age, and I don't want to, you know, slam on the things that have happened in the past because the game has changed, you know, vastly, you know, in terms of what is going on for quarterbacks. Aaron Donald to me is the greatest defensive player, at least in my era, and that's who I would pick. Uh, just for what he has been able to do recently and what he's been able to do, you know, in his, you know, career to cement what he did in the, in the Super Bowl is, you know, for me is certainly what it is and he's still young and I mean there's talk about him retiring like that's unbelievable I mean geez if he can go on and again we talked about it with the last one with the whole LeBron discussion is you know longevity players didn't play quite as long back in the day in the 70s and 80s and 90s if Aaron Donald goes on to play another three four more years I mean at such a physical defensive position you know and maintains this I don't know if there's any debate especially if the Rams run it back again next year your thoughts? It's interesting. You know how it, it, the, the, you have the player retirement talk for contracts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think that's Donald, and I don't think he's retiring. I just don't think he likes uh, training camp. <laughs> so, <laughs> old Brett Favre. I do, think, I do think he's coming back. I do think he's coming back. Um, I've seen a lot of football. Uh, I may be older than you. I do age like wine, though. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> but uh, I, I did watch the Cowboys uh, Steelers Super Bowl, and I did watch the Rams Steelers Super Bowl. Uh, I saw Mean Joe Green. I saw Jack Lambert. I saw Singletary and the 85 Bears. And the 85 Bears were so good. And they were, I mean, the whole defense was, I mean, so dominant. And it was almost a gimmick. You know, you know you've seen the gimmick teams that come out, yep. the run and shoots and whatnot. And they ran the 4-4, and no one had ever seen it. And they were so good. Um, I don't know if you ever heard the story, but the Bears were terrible in 1981. Like, they were terrible. No. And uh, the Bears defense got together and wrote a hand letter. Was Ditka there at that time, that early? He was the defensive coordinator. Okay. Uh, uh, no, sorry, sorry. Uh, Buddy Ryan was oh, the defensive yeah? coordinator. Uh, and the, the, the defense got together, and they wrote a handwritten note to Papa Bear Hallis. And they said, we know you're likely going to make a change. Oh, boy. <laughs> at coach, will you please retain Buddy Ryan? And Dicka was an assistant with the Cowboys. Okay. And uh, he wanted the coach, the, the team, really bad. Mm -hmm. And so Hallis uh, gave him the job for, like, the, the lowest coaching oh, <laughs> salary of all time. Uh, and and, uh, and Dicka took it. But Hallis uh, said that was the most bare decision or that letter that he's ever seen in his his Crazy. years as a bear. And he was so proud of his guys. He hadn't been to practice in like more than five years. He came down to practice and he walked uh, right up to the uh, to the, his defensive team and told him, I'm keeping uh, Buddy Ryan. Yep. And then uh, they hired Dicka, they went on to the 85 Bears and uh, they, you know, they, and if you yep. remember, they carried Buddy Ryan off the field oh, yeah. uh, in that game. Yep. But when, and, and, and they beat Dallas in 85, 44 to zero. Mm -hmm. It was the worst uh, uh, loss in Dallas history. Still is the worst loss in Dallas history. Um, but they were so good. Gary Fensick, Dan Hampton, McMichael, you know, I, I can't put Singletary in, in, the, in, the, in there. Lawrence Taylor was the NFL Defensive Player of the Year as a rookie. And I remember his rookie year, he, taken a, uh, he, he went in coverage and took a ball in the flat 99 yards back for a touchdown and interception. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a two-person discussion. I know people yep. are going to bring up Reggie White. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to say. Yeah. yeah I, it, I will tell you this. Right now, I mean, t Taylor's got two rings. It's, it was easier. This sounds dumb because it was more physical game. Mm -hmm. But Lawrence Taylor was an edge. Donald's an interior lineman. Mm -hmm. It was easier, and this may, and to many viewers might tell us about sound dumb, because when you're on that edge, you don't want to stop the run. Mm -hmm. Lawrence Taylor played in an era that was three yards in a cloud of dust, which physically is very difficult, you know, mm -hmm. pulling guards hitting you. But he was so dominant on the pass rush he only had to do it one down every, you know, every set of downs, mm -hmm. you know, uh, where in this day and age, I mean, people were running and passing in, in mm -hmm. many different situations. Um, and, but in all my years of watching football, all the way back to the 78 Steelers yep. beating the Cowboys 35-31 in the Super Bowl, uh, I've never seen a performance defensively 
like Aaron Donald Sunday, the Rams were hurting offensively. They could not run the ball. They lost Odell Beckham, and points were not coming. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like the Bengals were eventually going to score, but Aaron Donald just kept making play after play and sack and hurry, and he just got, kept getting them off on third down until Stafford could mount that drive. Uh, so I'll say this, and it's tough, but I think that the best defensive performance I've ever seen in my entire life is Aaron Donald on Sunday. And, uh, and I'm not one guy, a guy that swayed by recent events. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I told you that I thought the, the Chargers-Dolphins game in yep. the early 80s, uh, the Kellen Winslow yep. field goal block, carrying him off the field, was the, the, be- the best game of all time, not the Bills and Chiefs mm-hmm. uh, of, you know, of this recent year, which is definitely a very close second. I'm not swayed by you know, uh, just r- recent events yep. like many people. But I do still, I still think that LT is number one okay. because of longevity. Okay. Two Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. And I think, but uh, I think Donald is right there. And has the potential to could deserve Donald and have I think, the potential? Yeah, okay. I think if Don, I, Donald, I don't think he even has to win another championship. It just has just needs to have some more playoff performances. Okay. You know, uh, uh, because right now by every metric that the NFL measures players. Mm-hmm. Aaron Donald's ahead in every single interior defensive lineman metric all time. Okay. So I just I don't I don't think it's much longer that he will be uh, the, okay. number, the, the, the number one all time. We want to put this up to a poll, right? We do. All right. Well, we want to know. All right. We did last week. We had basketball. This week, we want to know defensive goat. Who's the best defensive player all time in the NFL? And the results from last week, overwhelmingly from you guys, was Michael Jordan. We both had Michael Jordan, so Michael Jordan will be our yeah. uh, our bid for basketball. I feel like we got a lot of younger. Uh, no, that was an older. I don't know. This is going to be interesting to see this goes. When, when I when I was out on the road, I asked that question on the uh, on the on TikTok to the you know, in my interviews, yep. and one hundred percent said Michael Jordan. So, actually, sorry, yep. there was one vote for Shaq, and oh, we didn't even talk about no, it. No, we didn't. And he was big okay. and dominant. Well, we definitely want to hear from you guys. The other big NFL topic we want to know is we talk a little bit about the Vikings, right? We want to talk about the Vikings and be specifically about what it needs to be happening for them. Changes in terms of personnel, what do they need to get in the draft? Go, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, you know, looking at the Vikings, and, and uh, you know, you can go – a lot of different directions. They need interior offensive line. They need they need interior offensive line without question. They need a corner. I think they need a playmaking linebacker and they need an edge rusher. You know, uh, when you're you're in the middle of the draft, it's tough. You don't know yeah. what's going to fall. I mean, uh, you know, Devin Lloyd from Utah, Thibodeau from Oregon would be dreams. They're going in the top ten. The Vikings are not trading multiple first-round picks mm-hmm. for, to, to get up and get a defensive player. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think a dream scenario falling to the Vikings would be the edge rusher from Purdue, George mm-hmm. Karloftis. I think he's the third edge rusher on the board. Um, obviously, if Devin Lloyd falls, and I know he's a little bit below Thibodeau because mm-hmm. Thibodeau's an edge, and uh, but I think Lloyd reminds me of Micah Parsons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's going top five. But if they can get the Purdue guy, and I, I'm looking at when their offense was clicking and they lose those games like 32-29 or whatnot, yep. they couldn't get off the field. And I think the biggest impact oh, would be an edge yep. rusher. 
I just think because of the wide receivers and whatnot that that are that are ahead of him, I think he's a top fourteen, top thirteen talent, and you can get him closer mm-hmm. to twenty. That's uh, that's where I see it. I don't know what you think. You know, it's tough because uh, I, you kind of touched on some of the areas. You know, offensive line, a little bit of defensive line, all that sort of thing. There's there's no doubting that they've got some elite players at various positions. I feel like Delvin Cook's one of the one of the best running backs in you know in the NFL. He is on my fantasy team. I've had him as a keeper for the last couple of years. So I've, <laughs> I've seen that success. You know, you talk talk about their receivers being elite. I I am a big fan of Kirk Cousins, but I feel like they are literally another Matthew Stafford away from being at that next level because when you talk about offensive line and we talked about what it was for the Bengals and how Joey Burrow just was getting hit left and right. You know, you can have a bad offensive line, but a good quarterback makes up for it. You know, if he gets that ball off a little bit quicker, makes right decisions, you know, uh, audibles at the line for better play action plays and, and be their screen game changes a whole lot of things. I would I would think for the Vikings, though, the long-term solution for them is definitely not Kirk Cousins. So, you know, what is their plan? So, they so get, they're, pick they're gonna, it. Pick it's the top quarterback, yeah, right? But, the, but I... I just feel like there is going to be a mess here in this quarterback carousel. I feel like things are heating up. And, of course, things get overhyped and people get, you know, too amplified into what's going on, especially when you start to see, like, things like Carla Murray's drop in his social media and all those type of all the garbage that goes with that. But I do feel like there is a bit of a domino effect. I'm really hoping it somehow works with my new Washington Commanders team. But... I do think for the Vikings, if they were able to pull something off, you know, if there's a disgruntled uh, Russell Wilson in Seattle and Seattle is out of options for trades, but yet an upgrade would be to bring in Kirk Cousins and get a pick or something like that might be a game changer for them. If they don't address what their future long-term plan is at the quarterback position, um, I just think they're going to be in a downward spiral and, again, be another one of those teams that is always good, you know, good, competing they'll contend they'll be in games you know they're not gonna get blown out but you know you talk about uh what the Kansas City Chiefs did you know in terms of um having Alex Smith and he was a great quarterback but not good enough and they dumped him for you know Patrick Mahomes because they knew the long term you know potential was going to be better uh you know think about the Buffalo Bills as another example who did they have they bounced around with Tyra Taylor but they went all in on a new quarterback you know went for it too as well you just it's a vicious cycle. You have to continue to keep drafting until you get your guy because what what's the point? You want to be mediocre, you want to be average and just have a great defense and hope you're gonna win. You think about what's going on in the future of the NFL now, honestly, you're not gonna get a very lucky Jimmy G pulling off something like that. You are going to get an elite quarterback, Matthew Stafford, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, those Josh Allen. Those are the ones that are going to be the winners in NFC champion, AFC championship, and win Super Bowl. Well, that's that leads us to another point. We'll open up a can of worms. Sorry, okay, folks, so that's what we do. Let's look at all the Super Bowl champion quarterbacks over the last twenty years. We don't have very many that haven't won on their rookie contract. Yeah. Tom Brady has consistently, with yeah. his Giselle fifty million a year mm-hmm. money, taken less. less. Peyton Manning's year. A bunch of guys jumped to Denver to play with him in his last year mm-hmm. on on he contract didn't take deals. Max deal, yeah, and he didn't man. take Max deal either. Uh, when you're looking at this Russell Wilson rookie contract, uh, Aaron Rodgers rookie contract, 
-hmm. Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, there's not a lot of quarterbacks that have been paid that have won. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking free agent route, you almost have to get the Stafford, whose contract was so long ago mm -hmm. that it's at a at, at a deal, right, a mm -hmm. discounted price. Uh, you know, here's the question: We're talking draft. If Pickett falls to the Vikings, mm -hmm. is he Josh Allen level, or is he Baker Mayfield level? And do the Vikings go there, or do they try to get? a piece to help Cousins well, get over you, the top. You've kind of opened up a massive can of worms, and I think the problem is is expectations versus reality. Back in the day, 90s, 2000s, you drafted a quarterback and expected a year or two, maybe three years, to develop until probably year four, you become an elite quarterback. Now, these kids are coming right out in their rookie years and being unbelievable. Joey Burrow, you know, a couple, Josh Allen, all these guys, within two or three years, absolutely elite quarterbacks and I think that that has ruined it you know for the quarterback market because the reality for for Pickett is is he could be a very good quarterback you just don't hope you get him into a Mitch Trubisky type of scenario or where you're starting to think you know like they talk about Chicago Bears everybody was dumping on Trubisky about how he was very mediocre and they got rid of him what the playoffs and, twice and, 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 uh, and then now <laughs> you know you see about their quarterback situation and how they've almost bumbled it with with fields and how you know, maybe he's not quite as bad, and maybe it was just their development of quarterbacks under Nagy. You know, it's it's just it opens up. I just I really hope that a lot of these quarterbacks, you know, like Trey Lance, we talked about NDSU. Trey Lance, a lot of excitement. He's probably I think I was reading a stat last week is he's had the least amount of pass attempts of any quarterback ever going into the NFL because he didn't start, he was didn't play a whole lot of games, there was the COVID year, all this sort of thing. Um, I think, you know, I really hope that doesn't happen to Pickett because, of course, you know, my commanders are picking, you know, in the middle there, and that could be... I think Mel Kuyper's <laughs> mock draft has talked about it. So, but that's you know, why I wanted to but, ask you. But, I know, and yeah, but, I think both Vikings yeah. and Redskins are, have them on their board, right. and you know, it'd be interesting to see how uh, either of those value him for sure. And you know, you talk about uh, Aaron Rodgers, and now they're what are they forty-five million dollars over the cap? Is they've already said in the media reports is that they're going to go all in. Well, he's going to have to restructure. Well, if Aaron Rodgers goes and tells the Packers I'm playing and takes a big pay cut or takes a pay cut instead of whatever he's expected to potentially make if he does to free up room you know to make sure they get Devontae Adams and then fill in a couple of these holes and pull the the Tom Brady deal Aaron Jones Holy David Bakhtiari I mean there's a lot of the, a lot of that stuff but I feel they like signed you, Bakhtiari, they you can hurt. push some of these contracts out you're just going to pay for it five years down the road and have virtually no money but uh, it's going to be interesting. And the biggest discussion now we've talked about is some of these teams here of late, you know, the Buccaneers, you know, last year and how they, you know, all these free agents to make it work. And now what are the Rams On do? Discounted they go deals. All in, yep. They may go all in. They make all these trades. How many teams are going to be in that mix? Like that think that they're close, but not close enough. And yet, it, it, if I'm the Denver Broncos, I'm trading two or three firsts, you know? and I'm trying to get Aaron Rodgers. And I think uh, Green Bay, if they're not going to re uh, retain him, I think they want him in the AFC. Mm -hmm. That'll be interesting. Um, but anyways, that was... Let us know. Yeah. Who is the greatest defensive player all time? And also tell us who you would like to see the Vikings get in free agency and in the draft. Because whoever they get in free agency is obviously going to change what they do Absolutely. in the draft. So. 
We'll see you next week on that one. Here we are with the North Dakota College segment. We are excited to have a special guest, Mr. Matt Merkin, head coach at Minot State. They're having a tremendous season with a big weekend uh, sweep, included knocking off the number eight Duluth Bulldogs. We had a great interview. Here it is. All right, we're here with the big interview segment here with Sprainer and Riggs. Excited to have a very special guest, head coach of the men's basketball team, Mr. Matt Merkin. Matt, how are we doing today? Good, thanks for having me, guys. Matt, last Friday night I happened to be at your game there against St. Cloud and uh, a team that's given you fits over the years. You're able to get that one done. They've been a thorn in your side. Tell us about that win how it felt. Yeah, definitely good to, to get that one. You know, it's been a team the the last few, you know, we, we've kind of had a, a, a history of having close games with them and the last few they've got the better of us. Um, you know, we had to play three in a row at their place because COVID last year we had to go there every time and then start off there this year and uh, had a little bit of a losing streak for us, those guys. And, um, you know, usually a team that for some reason we always seem to to have a good battle with. Um, you know, way back when I started at Minot State, we had a, a kid out of St. Cloud that was one of kind of our first kids that we got here when we came after we'd gone Division Two, and, and they were a top – top 20 team in the country one year. We knocked them off down there, um, which was a huge victory for us. But, um, you know, they've had, they've had our number a little bit since then. Um, and it feels good to start the weekend off always on a Friday night. You know, you guys coach sports as well, where you're usually playing on a back-to-back -back days or maybe a Thursday, Saturday or something. It kind of clears it up a little bit more to start with a victory uh, on that first game of the weekend always. So that's always a good way to, to tip it off. Absolutely. Now, of course, the big one, you know, is when you have a big statement win and playing against a top-ranked, you know, top-end team like like Duluth. Talk us through that one for us in terms of how that means for you guys. And we talk about, you know, obviously you're trying to progress to the end game and get to that Pentagon and obviously try to, you know, go deep into that type of tournament. But explain to us, you know, what that statement win for your guys is, both in terms of confidence and just things that you accomplished against a, you know, a top-ten team. Yeah, it was a huge win for us. They came in number number six in the country in, in NCAA Division II. So um, huge victory on our home court, um, you know, for so many reasons. Number one, you always want your, your guys to feel like they can beat anybody, um, especially at home. Uh, number two, we're in a real real battle right now for uh, seating purposes and for the postseason and all that stuff. So that was a huge win as well uh, because of those things. Uh, but, you know, I don't know – I, I, I looked back a few years and I saw that uh, Spain, I know you guys beat Mankato when they were 13 one year. You guys get any top 10 victories? Uh, I know I know you and the boys knocked off uh, St. Cloud State. I think they were number four one year. About four years ago, they knocked them off, which was a huge one for, you know, as far as the, the D2 teams that we have at Minot State for victories. So I had to, I have to check with you and see what, who you guys knocked off Spain in your in your uh, tenure? I'm on the spot. I yeah, I know. Uh, you know, we had a ton of uh, ranked victories. I think the closest we came to a top ten, we had Central Missouri at home, and they were number two, I think. And we went double overtime, and Bello hit a shot from uh, about 25 yards away with a, like six seconds, and it got past their keeper. 
and it hit the post, Oof. and it rolled along the goal line behind the keeper, and the buzzer went off. <laughs> it didn't roll in or out. It oh. just rolled right along the goal line. And I thought maybe, you know, with turf. I, I remember that one. <laughs> that, that was rough because that would have been a massive, yeah. massive victory, and we would have been the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. But um, but either way, it, it got us in the NCAA tournament, the, the, the draw did. Yeah, you know how that goes with the way they do it in, in, in NCAA D2 is just playing – Playing quality teams is a big deal too, and then obviously beating them, you get the bonus points and all that sort of thing. And it's kind of got us, you know, we, we had a stretch on the road where we didn't play our best, um, but that's got us back at least in the conversation. Uh, one of the regional polls that came out had us 11th now, uh, which is a big deal. Um, you know, we've got a huge week this week too. Um, got to keep winning for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, top 10, anytime you get a top 10, that's a statement win. And, you know, it's it's always that fine line. You want you want the boys feeling good about him, but you also want them to go back to work right away. And um, but it can be a confidence booster, and, and you know, let them know. It's always good to see that, that what they're doing works, and the hard work's paying off, and moving in the right direction. So definitely a big win for our program, and and uh, we've got a few ranked ranked victories, but that was definitely the highest team we've knocked off. Uh, yeah, tell me this one. Um... How did it feel relative to your Pentagon victory? Which one's bigger? Which one, uh, <laughs> you know, which one uh, rank them? Yeah. Rank them. Yeah, that's always the question as a coach, right? I think that the one this weekend was kind of, um, I don't know, our guys had a real, you guys know the feeling as a coach where you just have that feeling. Um, and earlier in the week, you know, we had just talked as a coaching staff and kind of said, we're going to, we're going to beat them. You know, like you really, you know, a lot of times you feel like you're, you got a good chance, but something about the way our guys had gone about their business, we felt really good about our game plan that our assistant coaches had put together. Um, and we just, our guys had, it, we're really going about their business the right way. So, um, and then we really played well uh, and got after him a little bit. It was almost strange. We, 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 it was, you know, we knocked him off by about 16 or so, and the, the crowd never really got into it huge because we had a nice lead on lead on him, um, you know, and it wasn't really in doubt too much. I, I'd probably say the Pentagon one just because postseason, you guys know, playoffs is always special. Um, and i got to give credit, you know, the NCAA this and that and the NSIC, and sometimes you don't agree with the higher-ups of what they do or whatever, but our conference puts on a tremendous – men's and women's basketball tournament down at the Pentagon. They just do, I mean, it's unbelievable the job that our conference and that that, that facility does. And, um, you know, the way that our, our student athletes are treated and they pay for everything and they really make you feel like it's a big deal. Um, so that was, that was a really big one. That one was, if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick that one just because it's postseason. Um, and it got us a shot at Northern State, who was a top five team. We weren't, weren't able to knock them off. Uh, but that was a that was certainly a big win, but you got you guys uh, know. I mean, hopefully, I can win win as many big games as you guys have won in your careers, and then then you got more more options to choose from, right? And <laughs> it's fun to debate those things. Absolutely. You've had a you've had a great run here at Minot State, uh, but I want to ask you about one of your local kids there, uh, Ben Bowl. Um, man, he can defend in the perimeter really well, huh? Huge, huge key for us. Um, to that victory over Duluth, um, the best defender, defensive player we have. He's really bought into that, takes pride in that. Um, you know, our, our 
you know, our, our local guys have been playing really well, especially the last couple of weeks. You know, there a lot of our local guys are there's a little bit of a drought coming through here as far as really guys that I thought were D2 level players. There's been a lot of good players throughout the years out of out of Minot or the surrounding areas. But, you know, we had a little drought where we didn't have anybody local for, for a while. And I think when we were able to to get Ben to commit and he's one of those goofy kids that's a third year freshman because of the COVID stuff <laughs> and redshirting, you know, it's kind of crazy. Um, but when Ben and Mason committed, you know, they had a, just such a great career at, uh, at Ryan, three state tournaments and so many big games. And when those guys came, that was a big deal. And then Jackson Gunville came in Easton Larson the next year who had been on Minot High's team. And Jackson and Ben are playing a lot for us right now. Um, but man, Ben is just a, he's got a toughness level that, uh, that you really want to coach as a, you know, as a coach, you just love having guys like that. So huge part of our, our win over Duluth the other night and a huge part of our, our team for, for the next few years, just great to have that guy kind of as a cornerstone in your recruiting, you know, and anytime you have a young guy that's playing well, you just, you just love it as a coach. Cause you, you got a little stability for a few years. Absolutely. You know what, Matt, I've, I've known you for a while. And Hey, I remember even the time when you, you got announced the head coach at, at Minot state and, Kind of in that transition post, you know, what do you call it, the grace area of what we call for the NCA, and especially for our transition for D2. And there's some lean years early on trying to establish a new culture and all that stuff to where the program is right now, where you guys are constantly competing. You guys are a threat now in the NSIC, and that's a major culture shift. And so, Matt, my question to you, and this is, you know, for two coaches what was the key to this transition for for this program to, to put themselves in a spot where they're contending every year, you're getting outstanding recruits, you're getting the best local kids here, and there's just a buy-in, uh, which is just infectious. So just, you know, tell us a little bit about where, where this transition yeah. has been because it's been big for us or your program too. Yeah, it's been huge. You know, it's been, it's hard. First of all, I can't believe I've, this, is, this is my 10th year at Minot State. It's crazy. Um, and, and, you know, you guys were here, um, for a lot of that as well. And just the level of competition in our league is huge. And th- this is a debate, you know, and I don't know if Jason and I ever talked about this, but, and, and it would not have been possible due to the NCAA rules, but in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, it may have been an easier transition. This can be debated at least. Um, if Minot State would have, would have gone to a division one program in some sports, because if you go division one and I'll just throw this out there, you, you join, you know, maybe you join the big sky or some other conference um, and no disrespect to the big sky, but the big sky is not the ACC in basketball or the, you know, it's not the SEC in football or whatever, you know, I know they have different conferences mm-hmm. than that, but when we joined the NSIC, we basically joined pretty much the best conference in, in NCAA division two. So not only do you go up a level, but then you go to the very best of that level. That's a huge, that's a huge commitment from so many people. And, you know, from administration to the community, to everybody, it's a, it was a big jump. And, and I don't want to say that in a way that, uh, you know, cause I, I know there was a lot of success in a lot of sports at the NAI level and a lot of people put in a lot of work, but a lot of people put in a lot of work for that jump too. So, um, man, it got tough right away for a lot of our teams. Um, and like you said, just trying to be in it for the long haul. And, and you mentioned kind of our first thing was we said was we've got to get, we've got to get the best local kids that we can get. And, we've got to make it where they want to stay in Minot and play for us. And there's just something about playing for your hometown team where it means a little bit more, um, to those guys. Um, so that's, that was a huge part of it, but, and then you're trying to, you're trying to go through those baby steps of developing a program with little, little wins here and there. And, 
um, it's a, it's a long haul and we were trying to be in it for the, for the long haul as a coaching staff. And that was kind of my goal the whole time is to get, and the, the other thing is, you know, just, I think coaches say it, but I, and you guys know this though, but I wanted to, I want to coach guys that I truly enjoy being around every day. Cause you put in 100%. so much time and so much effort. It's a, such a huge, you know, you're on the bus for how many hours you guys know it's, it's great. People <laughs> yeah. wouldn't understand. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, you're rolling in at seven in the morning, seven, sometimes later than seven in the morning after playing a night game the day before. And, um, you know, when you stop at 4am and walk into the truck stop, you want to be laughing with the guys. You don't want to be looking to see who's trying to grab a candy bar and walk out or something crazy like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, and we've been able to coach guys that really enjoy being around, um, especially now, you know, my wife and I, that's a big, big change for me too. you know, being a single coach for so many years and all the, all the hours on the road recruiting. And now we've got, a, I've got a wife and we've got two little ones under the age of two. So, but you want, you want to have your team over for, you know, dinner or whatever, and you want them to play with your kids and enjoy it. And you want your kids to look up to them, not just as athletes, but as people. So it sounds cliche with all that stuff, but man, isn't that some of the best part of being a coach is that's that sort of stuff a little bit. And, Hundred um, I remember my last year in Minot, we, we had your team over for dinner, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, we were that we was were te- awesome. We teach the kids awesome. the guys board games and stuff, and you know that was uh, yeah. that was a pretty cool night. There's some truth to what you're saying about the D two D one, and uh, D two's a that's a that's a that's a journey. It's not a quick jump. I think you would agree with that. Um, some of the stuff that people don't understand. So in D two. You're, it's limited number of scholarships. It's not like a, a, a huge number like Division One. So, you know, when you're recruiting to a, a city that doesn't have a metropolitan area, you, you put your scholarships into to, to a majority of your team moving from far away. So you have a, a, all your money on your starting lineup. Mm-hmm. So if you take a Grand Valley or a Mankato or a St. Cloud they can build a roster in their metropolitan area, you know, with fractions of scholarships and For whatnot, sure. or a walk-ons that can compete at the Division II level, you know, uh, with local people. And that's it's one, that's one. And there, and there are some fantastic local people. I was going to ask you about the foster kid at rugby. You know, uh, you know if, if he's on your radar, uh, I mean, he is a long athletic kid and you know, and he runs the court cool. defensively. I was really, really impressed. Uh, but there are some local kids like uh, Bull and Hedberg and whatnot and Rudolph and stuff that have helped your program. Uh, but you don't have the Metropolitan base to get three or four walk-ons that end up being good uh, sixth men or starters in Division Two, like a Metropolitan area would have. Um, but whereas Division One. Now, we would never have the income to compete with the ACC or the SEC or anything like that. But you do, you can get to the scholarship limit and out-recruit a big sky. And I think that's what Merck is, uh, Merck is talking about. But that's, yeah, and that's, the, that's the initial jump. You know, Division II is a long right, journey. And, right. and you're 10 years in. I mean, you're seeing this journey through, and your team's in position to have a home playoff game and get back to the Pentagon. So that's uh that's good. Kind of the standard has been raised. I mean, and that, like I said, that that goes from you know, like you said, as a as a culture of a program now, those kids that you know you you attempt to try to recruit in the past, now you are being able to make those phone calls and they are going to listen because the program is now established and that competition goes with it. So, but uh, hey, Matt, we we want to thank you. 
thank you very much for your yeah. time. This has been a great experience. I know uh, we'll definitely be having him on again in the future. Hey, Spanner. Yeah. Absolutely. And I like that you hit on that little division right, two needs- topic because we're having a debate coming up here in the next few weeks about Minot State yeah. should they have gone to Division two. So I like your lead in for us, Matt. <laughs> that was nice of you. <laughs> All right. All right, All right, bud. Take care. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate uh, appreciate what you're doing for local sports. You bet. Thanks a lot. We are here with the North Dakota High School Sports segment, and we had the opportunity to interview the most intense coach I have ever met, Sam Brandt. Minot State alumni, kindred, number one ranked girls basketball team in the state of North Dakota, and here we go. Yeah, hey, this is uh, Spanner Riggs Show, and we've got Sam Brandt on the line, and she is the head coach of the number one ranked basketball team in the state, the kindred Vikings, is that right? That's right. You got it right. (laughs) That's good knowledge, huh? So, uh, you want to go? Absolutely. Well, Sam, I know you're, uh, I remember your times at Minot State now. I can't remember if I was intramural director or if you were in intramurals a lot, but I know your husband was a ton. And I know every time we had basketball or dodgeball, he would always recruit. I know, remember your your involvement in with a lot of that stuff too. Um, Tell us a little bit about your, your Minot State experience because, you know, there's a lot of athletes that have been there that will you know, just be their sports and then they go to their dorms and do their thing. But you were very involved and I know your husband was very involved, but tell us a little bit about your Minot State experience and, you know, why you got to be so involved and, and what the, how that was a big part of your development as who you are now. I absolutely loved my Minot experience. Um, I'm not sure if you know exactly where I came from, but I grew up in the cities, went to 4A class school, um, graduated with almost 800 kids. Um, I know Minot High has a very high enrollment, but it's a very small town and everybody knows each other. Um, So just telling my parents, you know, hey, I got this handwritten letter. They want to see me play over there. They are asking me to come out for a recruiting trip. My dad's like, oh, you're just a city girl. You're going to hate it. Um, I walked into the dome and I loved it. I loved it. And I actually um, met my husband, Tim Brandt, um, on my recruiting trip, my official recruiting trip out to Minot State. And... Um, I really enjoyed the fact that no matter where you went, you could, you knew somebody or they knew who you were, or you made fans fast just because, um, you're really connected with athletes and different, different activities that you did. Um, and that's exactly what I like to do. I like to, um, be a part of everything that's going on just to make sure I could feel that sense of community and meet new people and enjoy my experience in college. And that is what I like to share with all the seniors, whether they're my athletes or my students, is do everything. Do everything. I know you think the junior high dances 100%. and the high school dances are lame in high school, but um, they're really, really a great time in college. So uh, tell us uh, who wrote that handwritten note to you? That was Sheila Green. Um she had seen me at, it was just like, um, you know, I'm just a five foot nothing point guard wanting to play somewhere. Um, she had seen me at a recruiting camp at, in Woodbury or Hopkins, one of the two. And um, must have just liked what she saw or a little bit of something. And she wrote me a handwritten letter and I called her and she wanted to have me out and I could see campus and meet the girls. And it was, it, it clicked for me. I knew exactly when I left that where I was going. 
Well, well, I asked that question because uh, she's coaching over at South Prairie, uh, which is Class B, um, and that they didn't qualify for the regionals. They had a tough loss. I, I, I watched their game. Um, but I don't know if you've noticed, but her team is loaded with uh, eighth graders and ninth graders. And, uh, and then I heard that the seventh grade, uh, her seventh grade travel team is like one of the best teams in North Dakota. Uh, and then they're all funneling into her, her team. So uh, are, are at some point down the road, is mentor going to play teacher in maybe a state basketball tournament? And would, would you would you enjoy that? <laughs> Absolutely. Who wouldn't? Um, you know, I just got to reconnect with her. She was inducted into the Hall of Fame just this last fall. And it was so fun to see a lot of former athletes and just see um, all the people that she's connected with over just her years at Minot State. And now she's um, doing some really cool stuff with some high school kids and, and middle school kids right now. They're such a young program. Um, I did reach out to her last year. We had a game um, on our schedule that wasn't filled yet. I'm like, do you want to play? You want to play? You want to meet up for a scrimmage? You want to do something? She's like, no, you don't want to play us right now. <laughs> um, she goes, we're just getting started and and we have a lot to grow. And um, But in a couple of years, maybe we will. We'll plan it out. So um, I know they're really young, but she's definitely got um, a couple of her own little daughters playing that are going to be some pretty, pretty good basketball players. She does. That's true. Yes. So you, 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 basketball has been a big part of your life and now you went from player to coach. Talk a little bit about what, you know, were you destined that you definitely always wanted to be involved in coaching or is it just something that kind of fell in your lap or is it just something that you just knew that you wanted to be involved in the sport and, and now you've evolved and obviously seen a whole lot of success. So t- tell us a little bit about that journey of what led to where you are right now with your basketball career. Um, I went into teaching cause I wanted to coach. I knew exactly what I wanted to do since I was 10 years old. Um, having multiple sports in my life and being a dual head, I mean, I'm coach for head coach for softball as well here at Kindred um, and have multiple state titles in that as well. And um, I think it's really, really easy to explain, especially to female athletes that you know what they feel like. In certain situations, you know um, – what that high pressure situation feels like, you know, you can explain it in a way that you wish somebody would explain it to you when you were younger. Um, and with form and different things, as far as teaching skill, you know what that touch feels like. And I love being able to give my perspective on kids and them taking it and using it and, and um, showing growth and success. It's, it's really, really, really rewarding. It's almost almost impossible to put into words how great it is to watch these kids want to work for you and play for you and work hard when you're not there just so that um, they can have success with themselves and their team. Absolutely. So you have the defending state runner-ups in your region and uh, you've pretty much pounded everyone you've played, but that game seemed fairly close. Um, you know, uh, as the regional tournament comes up, I mean, how does that feel? Have the pre- preparation for it, and I mean, what what's the sense in the locker room? I'm really loose. They're really excited. You know, I've got some really really great senior leadership. They know that that um, you know we played Castleton February first, and it was a 14 point game, but it still wasn't comfortable enough. You know, um, and 
we've been challenged this year a little bit. We had a pretty pretty solid schedule. We've played a lot of non-conference or non-region games have been high-ranked teams in the state, and we do it on purpose. Um, but nothing really matters until you get to crunch time and game time and and these these games that are happen next week. So um, the group that I have, their way of handling the anxiety and the stress is nothing but get in the gym, get in the gym, get in the gym. And um, I had conferences today and we had a game last night. So I couldn't be at practice today because I'd be at, in conferences and they still wanted to be in the gym. So they ran their own shooting practice and um, conditioning practice today on their own just because they wanted to be there. So they're really, really excited, I think, just to move forward and um, gain a little revenge. You know, two years we were there. Last year we lost by a free throw and 0.5 seconds left. And um, hopefully they can use the journey along the way to make them better this year. Well, so if the girls have uh, half your intensity, they'll be the most intense team in this century <laughs> in uh, state B girls basketball. So uh, last question here. I'm just going to ask you straight up. You and your husband, one-on-one, -on -one, how, how often does it happen, and who wins? <laughs> Ooh. Um, you know, in the wintertime, we don't see each other a whole ton to get in the gym very often, but... Um, I say it's 50, 50, 10 times out of 10, I probably win five, but if we go, um, head to head with state championships, I am definitely the winner. Definitely. <laughs> He's having a fantastic season over at Cheyenne as well. Is he not? Yeah, he is. He's, he's having a really great time. Um, his kids work really hard for him and it's, it's great to see the difference between class B and class A and it's great to go home and, um, know what a coach feels like when you lose or when you're not doing something that you're proud of or that your kids are struggling and um, being able to bounce ideas off him. I steal stuff all, from him all the time. Offensive things, out-of-bounds plays. You know, I tell him what I need and he's like, ah, try this. So it's it's really great to um, see all that and be able to have that conversation. Um, and he's very, very supportive. It's easy to do your job well when you have support at home. Is there uh, college coaching in your future? You know, I get that question asked a few times just because I have, you know, you know, I all three seniors are going to play college basketball. You know, they're like, technically, you're kind of coaching a college team right now. But um, I did get to be a GA under Sheila for a year before we left. Um, we had left that year that it's flooded in Minot. And my husband and I had just gotten married that summer. And um, we were struggling to find a place to live that we could actually afford cheap college kids. So, um, I don't I know. Yeah. For rent and, oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> I have two small boys. I have a seven year old and a two year old, um, right now or within the next 10 years, probably not, probably not, but who knows? Maybe the right opportunity will, will happen. Absolutely. Well, Hey, thank you for coming. Um, I really appreciate it and, uh, good luck at regionals and, uh, Absolutely. And hopefully we'll see you at State, too. Yes, I hope um, to see you there as well. And thanks for having me. It's been great. Kind of reminisce a little bit. I will yeah. be in Fargo next week for your regional tournament. So uh, I hope to talk to a couple of your girls and, you know, uh, and show the state some of their personality. Absolutely. Well, good luck. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You guys enjoy the rest of your night. 
That was an unbelievable interview from Sam Brandt, and I think all of you guys saw the same thing I saw. I mean, her intensity just came through there. Uh, if her team's anything like her, I mean, it's going to be an interesting state tournament. I hope to see them at state. I've seen them play. I'm going back to watch them at regionals, and she is on fire. Absolutely. You know what? And it kind of leads into what I really wanted to ask you. You know, we just finished, you know, some district games. Uh, we Like we talked about in each one of these podcasts, you've had a big, big uh, opportunity to be able to go to a lot of these games, check out some matchups. I mean, it seems like you're getting to be popular as they see you into those stadiums. But, you know, talk a little bit about some of these district games, some of these games that really kind of stopped or popped out at you. And there were some heartbreaking losses and some kind of expected wins. So tell us a little bit about what your what your travels took you to and your some of your highlights of what you thought about some of these district games. Oh, man, the the, the energy was, it was alive in the gyms. I really awesome. enjoyed that. It was uh, – and I've not been a huge – into uh, Class B sports or whatnot. I went to the two district tournaments for uh, Region 6 basketball girls this past weekend. Uh, I saw some unbelievable players. Allison Unlin from MLS. She's six foot four and she runs the court like a guard. Uh, she's, she's got offers from Moorhead, Minot, Mary, Northern. Wow. <laughs> like, I mean, she is uh, uh, Northern Iowa, I think. I mean, she is like Boy. on. She's one of the top gets probably in uh, North Dakota. Um, Ellie Broughton. Now, I watched her game. <laughs> I was actually on uh, TikTok Live during her game. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she had, I think, 21 football thro- full-court throws oh, boy. and didn't miss one of them. Oh, Two of them went through you know, her, her teammates' yep. hands, yep. but they were on a dime. Uh, she is an absolute money point guard. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, I enjoyed watching that. I uh, watched uh, DLB versus uh, uh, Bishop Ryan. Mm-hmm. Bishop Ryan is athletic. Yeah. Um, they, they're they're tough to handle. I mean, you got to defend them all over the court. Uh, I saw our Redeemers. Um, Maya Viabeto can get her shot off at any time. That mm-hmm. seems very uh, difficult and to. Apparently, uh, she's a great free throw shooter too. Is that what I <laughs> yeah, hear? Yeah. I mean, that's another three point shooter. Of, yeah, 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 three point but, shooter. Yeah. Um, I watched rugby beat Botno. Botno is long and athletic. They struggled on the offensive end. They, it was just iron unkind mm-hmm. all day for them. Um, they had a 9-2 to lead early against rugby. Rugby is so well coached. They moved from three-quarter court press to half-court press. And, and you know, if Botno called a timeout, they came out in a different defense. I mean, they were uh, – rugby is super well coached. Uh, Heidelbaugh. In that tough game, it was a two-point game at halftime. Mm-hmm. She just put the team on her shoulders yep. and uh, carried them across the line. Um, their point guard is very, very good. Uh, they, they're just really organized. They're going to be a tough out, I think. Our Redeemers has a tough first matchup yeah. there. Um, Anybody shock you at all? Anybody that just kind of like, oh, man, was there, I mean, some expectations of certain teams? Oh, you know, or just... I, I, TGU getting into the region tournament, uh, and they – you know, they had a, a fantastic freshman. Um, they did a good job. Uh, I had the opportunity to see rugby boys and Bishop Ryan boys tonight. And <laughs> that, I'll just tell you right now, rugby student section is phenomenal. Really? They, they're, they were phenomenal at rugby. They were phenomenal they for the girls. They travel At Velva too. in the district championship game. And they traveled tonight, and they had a full student section. They filled up half, maybe more, of, rug, uh, of Ryan's gym. 
And, uh, you, you know, uh, that well. foster kid can play. Mm -hmm. uh, he's 6'5", uh, but he, he missed a shot on the baseline. It rimmed out. Ryan uh, outlet pass, mm -hmm. and he ran all the way down the court and blocked uh, Johnson at the rim. Wow. You know, uh, uh, that kid defends uh, Feller. He's closing in on 1,000 points, mm -hmm. Brady Feller. And, uh, man, you know, for a jump shooter, mm -hmm. he defends hard. He had four straight uh, short jumpers in the second half yep. but, and then decided to get to the line. And he, uh, he closed that game out with eight wow. for eight from the free throw line. Um, and I thought that was high basketball IQ. My, I've been defending hard. They're the mm -hmm. best guy the whole game. My jump shot's get yep. short. I'm just going to get to the line over and over and over. But, uh, yeah, it, it, if you haven't seen Class B basketball in North Dakota, it's phenomenal. Um, I look forward to seeing Class A Century Girls. I'll be mm -hmm. going to see them. Yep. Uh, and, they, you know, they've got the best player in the state. So that's going to be interesting. I've heard where she's going. It's not been announced yet. So uh, I'll let I'll let her uh, let her do Maybe that. Maybe we get her to uh, announce live on our podcast. Yeah, that would be that would be amazing. Yeah. TikTok or trending, but uh, that would be amazing. Yep. But uh, uh, that's what I got. Okay. Well, good. Well, all right. It's going to be an exciting time. I know you'll be following along here as we get ready for finish into the regionals as we move to state. We want to thank you for the next uh, segment here on the North Dakota High School Sports Segment. Good. Thanks for watching the second episode of Spainer and Riggs, and uh, be sure to uh, subscribe to us, SpainerandRiggs.com. Check out all of our uh, social media, TikTok, Facebook, and so on. Um, also, we're part of the Dakota Network. Uh, you know me, Spainer, I'll be on the road. Thursday, I will be in Fargo for state wrestling. I'm not just a basketball guy, and I will be hitting all the region tournaments and some of the Class A games as they... Uh, as they close out their season. Thanks a lot, Riggs. You bet. We'll see you next time.